Amen. Thank you, praise band. Goodness, there we go. It's uh, always wonderful to have the praise band leading us. I got a, a phone call last night about 7 o'clock or so, and Nathan, it's Craig, our drummer. I said, hey, Craig, what's going on? He said, well, you know that uh, Lift High the Name of Jesus song that uh, we're doing? I was like, yeah, I think, yeah, 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 I heard on Wednesday night, we stopped in for a little bit and heard, yeah, yeah, what, what about it? He's like, well, I'm thinking about adding like a, a shuffle to it, uh, you know, changing the rhythm up. It's kind of more of an Irish thing. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool, Craig. <laughs> and then it dawned on me that he, he was calling Nathan Burbank, who's the, the band director there and, and not Nathan Parker. So thanks for letting me know about it. It sounded great. It sounded really good. No, really, it was awesome. It's going to get confusing with the Nathans. Yeah, it's, what did, Mark Anderson has a, a joke that, what do you call Woodmont before Burbank and Parker? Prenatal. And that was, it's a good one. It's good to sing uh, songs of our faith. It's good to affirm our common beliefs in the things that we believe. We are not only a, a natal church, we are a creedal church as well. We believe in the, the creeds the, of our faith, com confessing together, corporately, that we believe in the resurrection. We believe in God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Those are important things that connect us to the capital C church around the globe throughout space and time as well. And one thing that we do here at Woodmont that we've done the last couple of years that connects us to the large C church is Observe Ash Wednesday. We had a great service on Wednesday uh, observing a special time of reflection and repentance and, and confession and reflecting on our own mortality as we received ashes and were told, remember, that you are dust, and to dust you will return. We, we talked on Wednesday night about how that reality of the, the brevity of our mortal life should encourage us to live lives of urgency, of meaning and purpose right now as we focus on the things that really matter, the things that are truly important. It's a good reminder for us who have a tendency to become a little too comfortable in this world maybe, those who are not comfortable in this world have an urgency about them. They have a special passion about their purpose in this life that the rest of us could learn from. And one obvious group of people that I would say we have a lot to learn from in some ways, a group that's not comfortable in this world would be those who are in prison. The front page of the paper today was a, a story about a woman who had been really wrongfully uh, in, in isolated at the Tennessee Prison for Women that I know a lot of our church members have been involved in. You know, prisoners throughout history have taught us a lot because they are able to acutely focus. They have a lot of time on their hands, and they're able to, to really show us what matters in a unique way. Some of the most powerful letters that were ever written originated in a jail cell. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian and pastor and, and spy and, and eventually martyr, wrote many letters to his friend Eberhard Bethge that were preserved and they were smuggled out of prison to his friend Eberhard and they were eventually published in the 50s. And it, it revealed to the world those letters, this, this brilliant mind of a theologian and his steadfast faith even in prison and, and he had this beautiful vision for a healthy church with a capital C 
after World War, World War II, what the church should look like. It was amazing uh, letters that he wrote from prison. You all, I'm sure, have read Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail, one of the core documents of the civil rights movement in America. Dr. King closes the letter. It's kind of funny how he closes it by saying, never before have I written a letter this long, <laughs> or should I say a book? I'm afraid that it is much too long to take your precious time. He's writing to a group of clergy in Birmingham. I can assure you that it would have been much shorter if I had been writing from a comfortable desk. But what else is there to do when you are alone for days in the dull monotony of a narrow jail cell other than write long letters, think strange thoughts, and pray long prayers? The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians that we've been in the last six weeks. While chained to a guard awaiting trial in Rome. So when he starts out chapter 3 here with, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, I always think about the guard having to kneel down with him <laughs> since he's chained. He knows that the end of his life is near, that his earthly race is almost run, he's almost finished. We can be assured that Paul is here spending his days writing long letters, thinking strange thoughts that seem strange to a lot of people, and praying long prayers. And he's praying these prayers with a sense of urgency and purpose and passion that can only come from someone who is incarcerated. So he's already told us in chapter 1 that he's been praying for the churches in and around Ephesus to understand all the amazing blessings that are theirs in Christ Jesus. All the spiritual blessings that they are now in possession of as children of God. And then now that prayer was about, that, that prayer was about knowing and understanding, but, but here in chapter 3, Paul's praying again for the believers, and instead on focusing on what we know and what we understand, here he prays that we would be something. He's praying for our inner life, for our, our, our not so much our head's understanding as it is about our heart's beating in a certain way. So this prayer is, is a, a passionate prayer. Let's stand this morning as we read our text this morning. If you're able to stand this morning, chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 14 through 21. For this reason, Paul writes, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. It's a great passage, isn't it? 
I don't know about you, but if you're, you're like me, when you read a text like this and you, you see every time that it says you, I pray that you would be strengthened. If, if you're like me, when you read a text like that, every time you, you hear that word you, you think that God is speaking directly to you. And that's true. It's powerful that God's speaking to our hearts. But we got to remember that Paul's not just speaking here as in, to individuals. He's speaking to a group of people. I think in our fallen nature, we all, tends toward, we all tend towards narcissism. We tend to look for ourselves in the scripture. Where am I in this text? Instead of where is God in this text? We've got to remember that we're reading through Ephesians through the lens of the church. Paul's writing to a church, to a body of believers, to a family of faith. You know, I've argued for years uh, for the merits of a, a good southern translation of Scripture where every time the second person plural appears, you, that we would just say y'all. That would help a lot. We would know that he's writing to a group of people. I think Ron Landis said he wants a Jersey translation that says use or use guys. You know, you would, you would know that he's talking to a group and not in English. It doesn't work as well. The Spanish in Spain, they say vosotros, which is helpful for you plural. Uh, they don't, we don't have that in English. Paul is praying for the church, and not just the church in Ephesus and around Ephesus, but he's praying for the church, again, with a capital C, which includes you and me today. He's asking God to make the church into the kind of place where God would want to live. Have you ever gone to a hotel or uh, a motel or... A retreat center, I know a lot of youth have been to these places where you, you check in and you think, there's no way, no way I'm going to spend the night here. No way I can possibly make it a night here. My wife does not enjoy, uh, you know, hotels just in general. She used to, not really, she's, she's gotten better uh, about it now, but she used to bring her own sheets with her when she traveled because she didn't want to sleep in the, the hotel sheets. I think... Uh, I've, I've spent, you know, I used to, as a youth minister, spend between 30 and 40 nights a year uh, traveling with, with teenagers and with our chaperones, doing retreats and mission trips and those kinds of things. And man, I've stayed in some crazy places. <laughs> no hot water, right? You got rodents running around a lot of these places. You got uh, cold cabins with cracks in the floor. I've slept on the, the floors of many gyms. I've slept on church pews like this. You know, God bless you, Trey, and all your youth workers, and Anna for marrying you. Goodness gracious. <laughs> you know, God is making a place for himself to dwell out of us. What kind of place is he making? If, if God's household is full of pests, we have a great pest control service that comes here all the time at Woodmont. If God's house is, if the foundation is cracking, if the roof is leaking, if the stained glass is buckling, <laughs> then it cannot serve as an adequate space for God to dwell in as his house. I'm not speaking about material things here. I hope you know that. Remember back in Ephesians 2 that, that Paul tells us that we, the church, God's people, God's family, God's children are now God's house. In verse 19 of chapter 2, 
Paul said, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, you Gentiles, you non-Jewish people, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, a temple where God lives. Verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the key metaphor, I think, in this whole letter. This is why we're calling this series Built and why there's, Andy got this cool image of this house and the blueprints and the drawings designing this place for God to live. What do we need to focus on here in order to grow into a holy temple in the Lord? Well, let's look at Paul's prayer here in in chapter 3. Before he even prays, he makes it clear that we should know who he's praying for. Who's the builder of the house? Who's the architect, the contractor, all of that? It's God our Father. We need to understand that the, the God who is behind all this is the ultimate Father. He's the preeminent master of the house. He's the ultimate head of the the family. Paul starts out by addressing God as the father who is the source of all fatherhoods. He's the source of all families. The Greek word for father here is pater, and the word that's used for family, my translation says family, is patria, which you see how close they are. The, the pater from whom all patrias come from, the ultimate father. Because houses are for families, right? Houses are, are therefore supposed to be some of the most absolutely sacred and holy places on the planet because families dwell there. I pray for our staff every day. I pray for our deacons and for our members. And I pray for all of our households. I pray for our homes. I I pray that they would be holy sanctuaries where our families are strengthened and grown in love. So let's remember that God's house is meant to be a sanctuary for him and for his family in which to dwell. I know right now a lot of you are tensing up because the word family and home carries a lot of baggage for you. We all have baggage from our families of origin. Maybe your family's been broken and and split up for a long time. I know that for some of you, thinking of God as father is incredibly difficult for you to, to process because your own earthly father did so much damage to you and your family. I'm truly sorry if that's you today. My goal is not to stir up any hurt or or feelings of failure or or anger or resentment. But I, I do think it's really important for us to try to see God as the perfect father, as a good, good father, the loving leader of this family of faith. If we're gonna truly understand what it means to be God's house, we have to know who the master of the house is. It's an essential part of the gospel that God, through the grace that he showed us in Jesus Christ, has become our father. And he's the master of this house now. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, we see that the gospel makes us children of God. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, 
born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. The Greek word there means both. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, Dad. It's one of the greatest sounds you can ever hear. If you have a hard time with this concept of God as Father today because of your own baggage, I pray that the Holy Spirit will help you to live more and more fully into the goodness of God's perfect fatherhood. And that all of your family baggage can ultimately find redemption and meaning in God's family. And that you will come to embrace your good, good father who loves you so much more and more as you learn to trust him each and every day. Okay, so God is father. What, is, what does Paul ask him now on our behalf? He prays here for four things starting in verse 16, and they each build on the other. First, he, he prays that we would have inner strength. Our, our world, our, our culture, our society that we live in, they all judge others and, and ourselves by outward things, right? By our outward lives. What do you do for a living? What activities do you do? What kind of grades do you get? How much money do you have? What are you capable of doing? What do you look like on the outside? What does your home look like? What does your car look like on the outside? It's clear from experience, though, and from Scripture, that our doing comes from our being, right? Our doing is just a product of who we are on the inside. So our actions only serve to authenticate our inner allegiances. Our actions just prove what it is that our hearts love, what our hearts desire, what our hearts really are, are passionate about and pursuing in our lives. Our actions authenticate those. The inner life then matters greatly, despite what culture says. Culture's all about the outside. We've, we've got to focus on the inside. And life is hard, right? Our, our enemy is constantly seeking to steal, steal kill, and destroy us as, as we, as God's people are right in the middle of his crosshairs. Satan would love to destroy families, right? He, he would love to ruin our marriages. Satan is working 24-7 to attack us in our inner lives. He wants to keep us in fear. He wants to keep us in habitual sin and addiction. He wants to keep us in constant greed and, and discontentment and always lusting after more and more that is not ours to have. We need serious inner strength then to stand firm, is what Paul says in Ephesians 6, against the flaming arrows of the evil one that daily assail us. The, the outer circumstances of this world will be incredibly difficult. We were never promised that they wouldn't. Morgan and I have been lamenting the violence this week, not only in Florida, but here in our own neighborhood in Green Hills, as we saw the sirens go by on Wednesday night, as we were celebrating Ash Wednesday, knowing that there were attacks right here in our neighborhood. And one of our own church members who was attacked on Monday night, 
Only deep, abiding, inner strength will allow us to, to face these realities of this outer world the way that God would have us to face them. But we so often just focus on our outer circumstances, even in our spiritual lives, even in our prayer lives, we tend to pray for things that are physical and material without realizing that our greatest needs are inner ones. No matter what dire circumstances you may find yourself in, materially or, or, or physically, it's, it's always essential that we need the abundant power and strength of the Holy Spirit living in us, in our hearts. We need that even more than money or more than food, or more than breath, even. So once you have inner strength, that leads to the second thing that Paul prays for in verse 17, a deeper experience of Christ. Here in, in verse 17, Paul prays that for us, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Once you're spiritually strengthened, that Christ would then dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell, it's the same word in John 1.14 when it says that, that, that God incarnated and dwelt among us. The word dwell means to settle down. It means to make oneself at home, to take your shoes off and put your feet up and get comfortable is what that word really means in, in, in the original Greek here. So Paul's prayer here then is that our hearts would be a place where, where Christ feels more and more at home in our hearts. It's the place where Christ dwells richly, that we would have more than just a surface knowledge of Christ, but that Christ would feel comfortable inside our deepest inner hearts. Some of you may have read that little classic book written by Robert Munger in 1951. He's a Presbyterian minister. I think someone gave it to me when I was a new Christian called My Heart, Christ Home. You ever heard of that? It's so good. I'm sure we have a copy in our library. I googled it. You can find free PDFs online. It's a really short little read. He talks about inviting Christ into his heart and how he's showing Christ around the rooms of his heart, showing off some things. And Jesus said, this is not the way that I want my house to be. This is not the way that I want your heart to be. And Jesus comes into each room of his heart and makes his heart more the kind of home that he desires for it to be. There's a great song we used to sing when I was in college that I'm sure is based off that book. I'm not going to sing it, but it goes, come and make my heart your home. Come and be everything I am and all I know. Search me through and through till my heart becomes a home for you. A home for you, Lord, a home for you, Lord. Let everything I do open up a door for you to walk through that my heart would be a place where you want to be. It's by Watermark. You can go listen to it. It's great. Powerful image. So once you accept God as your Father, and once He's strengthened you internally, and then you start to experience Christ in a deeper way where he's at home in your heart, that leads to the third thing that Paul, Paul prays for, that we would grasp God's full revelation, that we would know the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of who God is and his love for us. This is not just a, a mental exercise. He says to, to know completely that which surpasses knowledge. <laughs> that's impossible, right? That's, that's not just a, something that you do in your head. The word comprehend in, in verse 18 makes us think maybe comprehend. That, that's about studying or knowing something, right? 
But that's, that's not really what the word in, in Greek means. It's closer to apprehend. It's closer to grasp, to obtain, to something that you possess by grace through faith. This grasping, this apprehension doesn't just happen in a moment. Something doesn't click. Like algebra, you may just click and get it. That's not true with, with the love of Christ. It's really unobtainable in this life until we know him face to face in the next life. We, we will never really understand the, the breadth and the height of who God is, but it's a worthy ambition to know him. It's a holy and pure passion for knowing Christ and his fullness and greatness. Paul said himself in Philippians 3, verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is a life well lived. That is a life that is poured out for the sake of knowing Christ fully. That kind of life leads to the fourth and final thing that Paul prays for in this, this prayer here, which is for us to be a household that is filled completely up to the measure of God's own fullness. You know, I love big families. There's always such, such a joy when families get together and have a household that's full of people. My, my wife's family, her parents are here today. They, a long time ago, they, they built a, a lake lot. That's what they always called it, the, the house on the lake there, Watts Bar Lake in East Tennessee near Spring City. There's, there's, I remember the first Thanksgivings that I went over there. There were over 40 people in that little house. Trucks everywhere, four-wheelers everywhere, food everywhere. It was awesome. So much fun. I, I thought Ed and Becky, I thought y'all were going to have your five grandkids this weekend. Is that not this weekend? Next weekend. That's going to be a house full there. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Five grandchildren all in one house. I love it. That's, that's a house full of energy and love and joy. That's what church should look like. I'm, when we cultivate our inner lives, when we then experience Christ indwelling in our hearts, then we give our lives to the pure and holy passion of knowing God and his will for us, then we will be a full house. I'm not talking about numbers necessarily. I'm talking about being the kind of spiritual people who are strong in their inner lives and then making our hearts the kind of place where Jesus would want to dwell and take his shoes off and get comfortable. Then it's about making knowing God and his will and his love the all-consuming purpose of our lives. You know, we have a lot of scientists and a lot of researchers and PhDs in our church. I love it. I love talking about science with them. I don't know half of what they're talking about, but I, it's fascinating to me. They could tell you better that nature abhors a vacuum. Have you heard that in physics or anything? Nature abhors a vacuum. What does that mean? It means that empty space will be filled with something. That, that water or air or whatever it is will flow into an empty space. Everything will be filled with something. Your hearts will be filled with something. Our church will be filled with something. Because nature abhors a vacuum. What is our church filled with? What's filling your heart these days? They can't just be empty. Are they filled with regrets? Are they filled with fear? Are they filled with shame? Are they filled with worry? 
doubt, worldly ambition or pride, greed? Or are we filled with God's purpose? Are we filled with spiritual strength? Are we filled with love, love and more love? Love for God and for our neighbors, love for those less fortunate than ourselves, and even love for enemies. This may seem like an impossible task to see yourself and Woodmont Baptist Church be filled to the fullness of the measure of God, but it's not too much for God to do this, right? Paul closes his prayer with a doxology, a benediction that I've been using throughout this whole series at the end of our services. It reminds us that what God is capable of goes beyond our ability to even dream about it. We pray to him, our Father, who is able to do far more exceedingly, abundantly, more than all that we could ask or even imagine. We're therefore not alone in this endeavor to figure out how to be church on our own or how to live the Christian life on our own feeble strength. We've been imbued now with resurrection power according to the power that is presently at work within us. That power enables us to say we are more than conquerors. The first half of the letter concludes here with a loud amen. You know what amen? It's the Greek word amen. <laughs> you know what it means? It means yes, truly. Let it be so in my life now and forever. Amen. May it be so in the life of our church and the church around the world forever as well. So let's depend on our amazingly good, good Father who never fails, never lets us down. Let us then develop inner strength, cultivate our inner lives spiritually through prayer, through fasting, through Bible study. Then let us have a deeper experience of Christ who comes to dwell in our hearts in a way that he's not ashamed or doesn't feel like a stranger in our hearts, but that he takes his shoes off because he's home. Then we may pursue knowing the limitless, unknowable dimensions of God's will and God's love for us. And then we will be filled with the greatness of our God by his grace and for his glory. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we look at our own hearts, we look at our church, and we know that we can't just be empty, but that we are filled with things that maybe shouldn't be there. God, may we cultivate our hearts individually and corporately to become the kind of fertile soil where, where your word takes deep root and flourishes and bears fruit in our lives. We pray that you would do something so great that it would be so far above and beyond what we could ever have dreamed of or imagined all by your grace and for your glory. That we would see it and be astounded at what you've done at Woodmont Baptist Church. God, we want to see people find healing. We want to see miracles. We want to see lives that are restored, relationships that are renewed. We want to see people find meaning and purpose and passion. We want to see people develop love that goes beyond expectations. And God, we've, we've seen much of that already. And for that, we give you thanks and praise. 
We just ask that you would continue to do far more abundantly than what we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, we love you. We pray these things all in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ who gives us inner strength and allows us to say we are more than conquerors. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation now. Uh, We're going to sing the footsteps of Jesus as we follow more and more closely in our discipleship journeys. If you have never accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, I'd love to talk with you about that right now as a time of invitation. If you are ready to make Woodmont Baptist Church your church home and be a part of this household, this family of faith, and that you are willing to join us, we're not a perfect family. I tell you, every family's got baggage, and so do we. And if you are perfect, then I'm sorry, this is probably not the church for you. (laughs) But if you are not perfect, you're not going to hurt us by joining us. You're just going to be another uh, fellow former sinner who's now a saint, adopted into the family of God, who's journeying along this life with the rest of us. So I'd love to talk with you about that as well. Whatever it is that you need to do today, don't leave this place without having dealing with God in your hearts. Let's stand and sing the footsteps of Jesus.